What's up, guys? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and with me is my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, coming off a hot streak in DFS, hoping to keep that rolling and approaching some trade deadlines in some of the best ball dynasty leagues that I am in where we do a midseason trade window. So we'll talk about that a little bit this week. Yeah, you've been crushing DFS. I'm excited to hear your uh, show with with Dink on uh, Saturday. Establish a million is always uh, essential. So I might uh, kiss Stanza and just walk out. I think I've peaked. So. <laughs> You're done? <laughs> just get out before the people, you know, the expectations get a little too high and reality sets in. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach Ertz was the cover boy last week. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's be humbled. Zach Ertz cover boy. <laughs> um, but we have a good show for you here. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, a super flex discussion, uh, getting a little bit more into our thoughts, uh, kind of building on some of the stuff we talked about last week with Evan Solo when we redrafted the rookie class, which was a lot of fun. Check that out if you haven't heard it, but we're going to be kind of building on some of the stuff we talked about at quarterback there and talk a little bit more about super flex leagues. And then uh, we will talk briefly, I think, here to start on the Le'Veon Bell signing. You just landed with the Chiefs. But uh, at the end of the show, we're going to get into some more of our favorite stat targets for route, route run and just kind of do like, a, you know, like kind of a mid fantasy regular season recap uh, of where things stand at the tight end position. Uh, looking at some of these charts here that Sam Hoppin made, uh, charting out targets per route run. And um, we'll, I think we include those in the show notes, and then, uh, but really just go through the stat and see who's jumping out, who's surprising us, who's kind of doing what we expected, and uh, see if there's any guys we're looking to buy low or sell high on within that, within that group. So that's kind of the rundown of the show. But yeah, let's start with this Le'Veon Bell news. I mean, the second one of these running backs in that like third, fourth round range to get cut and then not claimed on waivers. But then their owners get a little victory lap as they sign with what seems like a good situation. I would argue that the Fournette version of this has not worked out so well. Uh, he's who knows, maybe he'll end up having a second run here, but he looks like maybe Tampa Bay wasn't the best situation after all um, for Fournette. I am a little skeptical of Bell landing in Kansas City, but I want to get your thoughts first. Yeah, I mean, we were coming off last year where McCoy signed and everyone was kind of worried about that. And then, you know, he ends up inactive down the stretch. And I don't think it's going to be like the McCoy situation. I think Bell's probably got more left in the tank than LaShawn McCoy had. And, you know, we have seen... You know, it's interesting because we're just coming off doing the podcast last week where we discussed why CEH we felt like was the number one overall rookie pick. And part of the reason for that was this huge workload they were giving him, which was a surprise. So I guess I'm kind of worried that Bell does step in because because I was surprised that CEH got such a big workload in the first place because this is a team that I thought kind of wanted to split the running back carries through the regular season. You know, they did that last year before come playoff time they just went 90 percent damian williams but pre-playoffs they really were managing the workload for running back so i'm kind of concerned now the reason i was so optimistic on ceh is also the same reason i'm concerned i know does that does that make sense pat 
It does. I mean, it's a running back position, and ultimately we care about opportunity. And now it does look like the opportunity here could get cut into somewhat significantly. I guess what I wonder is, is he here to cut into CEH's role or is he here to take in, take over Daryl Williams' role? Daryl Williams looked absolutely terrible every time I saw him um, this season. I, I don't think that he really deserves to be out there as much as he is. And he is out there. Like I think he was out there for 40, 40% of the snaps this past week. Uh, that is a concern in and of itself already, but uh, I wonder if we're looking at like still still that sixty forty split with just Bell taking over the Williams portion, right? Well, the Williams portion until this past week was very minimal. Yeah, and he played a lot at the very end of this KC Raiders game. I don't know what was going on with that. I know because I was sweating Ceh. I was well, I guess Ant. I was fading him in DFS, and I was like, oh my god, he's not out there. This is unexpected and great. Um, but it was also a little bit strange because, you know, why wasn't he out there? So I, I think if Bell comes in and takes the Daryl Williams role, I would imagine it's more the Daryl Williams role we saw last week than what we saw mm-hmm. earlier in the season. You know, that's why I'm worried uh, about CEH and also, you know, what's been circulating and very popular buzz is, you know, knocking CEH for his lack of productivity inside the 10 yard line you know he's gotten a lot of opportunities uh levitan i think tweeted that it's almost made up the statistics that he has inside the 10 because he has all these carries and no touchdowns and i think like negative three yards or something so you do worry that you know they're going to give bell some of those carries and obviously bell's a very capable pass catcher so i could see a situation where it's you know 65 35 split in favor of ceh which you know, still keeps him pretty valuable, but he was like, he was basically a workhorse weeks one through four until things got a little bit weird last week, particularly at the end of the game. What do you think the downside, like worst case scenario for CEH is? I, I can't imagine it gets more than 50, 50. Uh, Twitter is messing with my head because I see people out there who already are assuming it's going to be 60, 40 bell or something. And that just seems, you know, absolutely bonkers to me. I, I could see 50, 50. I'd really be shocked if CEH was not the leader in Casey running back touches the rest of the season though. Yeah. I, I think my, my guess would be that it ends up being like 55, 45 to, 60 40 and Mm -hmm. to start um well maybe not to start start but within two to three weeks that it settles into that type of role uh i hope kind of for the sake of like everyone that daryl williams is now not very involved at all because he really was bringing nothing if this is a three-man like committee it's just going to be really really gross i don't think it's going to be a three-man i'd be just yeah. based on how they use Darwin and how they use Daryl, you know, they brought up DeAndre Washington from the practice squad. It, it seems like they were really disappointed in those guys. And, and maybe that's why CH touched the ball so much. The first four weeks was maybe we were giving CH almost too much credit and it was really just these guys behind him stunk. Yeah, that, that could be. I, But I think generally like we should still be viewing this through the lens of the chiefs, drafted a running back 
with their first-round pick. They installed him immediately as their starter. Granted, Damian Williams did opt out, so who knows if if uh, CH would have been installed as the immediate starter ahead of him. Maybe not. Probably not. But CEH comes in as the immediate workhorse starter, and then halfway through the season or whatever, they one-third of the way through the season, they sign a running back who they did not put a waiver claim in on. So, you know, I don't – like, yeah, it's Le'Veon Bell. He was awesome a few years back. He was just with Adam Gase who, you know, he's like got the opposite of minus touch, right? Everything he touches turns to shit. <laughs> so it's like – Bell might be awesome still. It's really it, there is a possibility that he's like much better than what we've saw the last couple of years. But what we saw was really gross uh, over the last two seasons. Just did not look like he had much left. And this is something that we see all the time with running backs. Bell's twenty eight, uh, turns twenty nine in February. So it it really wouldn't be really it, the surprising thing would be if if Bell looked awesome given his age and what we saw over the last few years and what we generally see with running backs falling off. So I would be, um, you know, this to me looks like an opportunity to sell bell. If you're, if you can trade him in redraft or you can trade him in dynasty, this looks like a huge buying window to me on CEH in dynasty. I think in redraft in redraft, maybe not in redraft. I don't know that you can sell on this news because you might, depending on how your league stands, they might view, they might be like Twitter and view Bell as the starter now. And certainly you have to hold CEH through that type of, uh, you know, if that's the league, your league's perspective, you're going to have to hold through it. But uh, in Dynasty, I'm not concerned about this at all. I mean, Bell's just signed a one year deal. It's clear. I think in part he signed because this team plays the Jets, you know, and I think obviously the bigger reason is that he wants to try to win a Super Bowl. And I don't really think that KC is going to commit to Bell after the season. First of all, they also have Damian Williams coming back on the same contract they would have had, uh, which is pretty cheap. So they already have the guy that they feel confident in. They don't they're not going to feel a need to extend Bell. Bell's going to end up somewhere else. So this is cover for CEH's dynasty a value, I think, primarily. Although, you know, certainly if you built your redraft team around CEH or he was kind of the thing carrying you this far, this could hurt. Yeah. So if you were, if we were redoing the rookie draft we did with Evan last week and you had the 101, would it still be CEH over Taylor? You know, I think there's a case for Lamb uh, after what we saw from him. But obviously with him losing Dak, you're not going to get the production out of that. I think I probably would take CEH first. Although if I had, I mean, CEH loses some value in Dynasty because you're not going to get as much production this year. But it's almost like if you think about like, what if CEH had gotten banged up or something? So like, sorry to cut you off, but I want to interject there. Have we been maybe underplaying Damian Williams coming back ne- next year? Because because we're so we're hmm. saying okay, so he loses, you know, Ch loses some value this year because of Le'Veon Bell, but whatever, he's still got good long term value. But we know Damian's coming back next year. Have we been like underplaying that? So my concern with Ch coming out was just Casey was always going to split carries basically in the regular season, and. 
those concerns were put on the back burner when we saw this workhorse role from CH the first four weeks. Now you sign Bell and you're like, okay, well, he's got to contend with Bell for this year. It's only a one-year deal, but then you get Damian next year. You know, I, I don't know. I, just thinking out loud here, that's it. Yeah, it's a good point. Damian can himself be cut for the savings of $2.1 million. Um, So it's possible that they they end up rolling with my, you know, if, if they were to cut Damien and not bring bell back, then they're probably drafting somebody because they're clearly don't feel comfortable with just having Daryl and, uh, and Deandre Washington and stuff and Darwin Thompson. So my guess is that Damien comes back though. They keep him for like 2.5 million. That's pretty affordable. They let bell go. Uh, Damien's 28 years old now coming back at 29. I don't know. I mean, like, some of it's the workload. Some of it's the fact that he's tied to Mahomes for the next four years. Yeah. And it's like, I don't have... So I have a running back who was a first-round pick who catches passes and has gotten a bunch of goal line carries. That running back is in the Chiefs offense, tied to Mahomes, is going to have a fifth-year option, so he could even be there for five years. And, like, he's he may not be like a workhorse over the next couple years, unfortunately, but the team has shown a willingness to give him that role already as a rookie. You know, like if he, like he's, he's a, he's a rookie. Like, yeah, he hasn't been awesome on the goal line, but like, yeah. it's like his fourth, fifth game. Like, you know, I, I don't think that, um, and like, there's a contingent of Twitter that really thinks he was just overrated as a prospect. That may be like, I don't really I try not to even get that hyped about like running back prospects one way or the other, even though I like Jonathan Taylor a lot. Um, it's more about like, is the offense really good? And he's, is he going to get a huge percentage of the backfield? And I think as you look at Damian Williams, like the bottom is not going to fall out on Damian Williams value. If anything, maybe it just did, but like, I'm still considering him the number one rookie in the class in the ball after the volume, fell, uh, after the bottom fell out. So, uh, I don't know. Where would you redraft him? I think I think one, and it, it feels kind of silly to say that you'd be drafting the one-on-one rookie on floor, but everything you said about the Chiefs offense and tied to Mahomes, it's kind of like workloads are somewhat uncertain, but he's not going to be bad almost no matter what the next four or five years. And if he hits the workload that we saw the first four weeks, if at some point in time that comes back, you know, he's the clear one. So, uh, and it's, it's mostly a theoretical conversation because, you know, you're not redrafting rookie classes. There's probably not a ton of scenarios where you're straight swapping, you know, CH for Taylor lamb. I do think, you know, CH for lamb plus would be somewhat interesting. Uh, if you could try and get that because people just value the running back so much when that might be a mistake. So I do think maybe there might be a small opportunity where, you could get lamb plus something, but in general, in general, it's a buy because as you noted, people are, you know, overly panicking on this news. Uh, I am, you know, just since we're talking about it, somewhat interested in uh, how you feel about Jonathan Taylor. I'm trying to look up the statistics here, but saw some stats that had him in terms of missed tackles per touch and whatnot, really at the bottom of the league with some, 
kind of dusty players uh stuff that generally i really don't pay too much attention to it but was just curious to get your thoughts on it yeah i and i i heard that um pete overs that was telling me on our ship chasing show that uh people, there's like a contingent that's now saying he's like the new trent richardson and stuff yeah um, he's 48th out of 55th in pro football focus is elusive rating on people that have at least i think 20 rush attempts jordan wilkins is second <laughs> so to do with that what you will yeah i mean it's not great like i'd like to see him much higher um but i i don't know i mean the prospect evaluation was so strong on him coming out that it's like the one thing we felt really good about was that this dude was going to be a really good rusher. He hasn't been like a really good rusher thus far. I think that's probably why, or at least part of the reason why the team hasn't committed to him as much. And they're, they're involving Wilkins. Um, but I think the thing, and we talked about this with Evan, we weren't sure what he was going to be as a pass catcher. And he's actually been decently involved as a pass catcher. And that's been really, really nice. So yeah, I don't, I mean, the whole thing with these running back metrics too, like they're not very predictive. And I like to use them specifically to talk about, you know, how good Ronald Jones is and stuff, but (laughs) they're really not very predictive. So, yeah, you know, you you have to be careful with that. And, you know, like Gurley's 10th and elusive rating. And it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. Yeah. Um, so I, I was just curious. It wouldn't affect me at all, especially as you noted all the great things we know about Jonathan Taylor as a prospect. And, and I'm sure you're happy while we're talking about rookie running backs that Le'Veon Bell did not sign with the Buffalo Bills and squash Zach Moss for this year at least. Yeah. If you had signed with the Bills, that would have been, I think, because I, I guess I just don't have as strong of a prior on uh, Singletary or Moss, as I do of CEH, and also the the draft capital and the team commitment, you know, that matters. Uh, I, I don't think that Bell could have really, is really going to be um, challenging CEH to be the starter, although he'll force a, a pretty big split probably. But in Buffalo, I think Moss would just be dust for this year. Um, yeah, he would have been dead. You could maybe see him like getting a, some goal line touches and just kind of ruining value for other people, but you'd never want to start him. So yeah, I, I'm pretty pretty happy he didn't end up in uh, in Buffalo. Yeah, and I'm full practice for Moss today, so hoping uh, he comes back this week in the game against Kansas City. Yeah, and I guess the other one that he wanted to go was Miami, which would have been. What do you what do you think with Gaskin? Gaskin, I think would have still had a pass catching role and maybe would have been okay. But I'm not really sure. I I just know I'm happy he didn't because I grabbed Gaskin after week one, kind of just on a whim with the usage. It was one of those things where I did not want to pick up my <laughs> Gaskin, but I was just kind of forcing my brain was just like, okay, he got all these touches, just pick them up and yep. see what happens. And I know sometimes you get lucky with that because I did not want to pick up Gaskin at all. I have him um, in a, dy- a couple of dynasty leagues by doing the same thing, and uh, but not the high stakes leagues. Um, although we're in one with the one Pete and I have one with uh, this high stakes grinder uh, who goes by Crack Rock. We have him in that league because Crack Rock grinds. tight ends. 
Yeah, where he cranked it purple. Cranked purple, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, to segue, uh, my FFPC high-stakes leagues are pretty dusty as both my main event teams are Dak Stacks with Saquon Barkley. So, <laughs> oh boy. And that... And I know we wanted to, you know, dive into the quarterback situation. We hit when you did your dynasty ranks, kind of what you know what you could look for to get for Saquon Barkley now that he's hurt. And the Dallas situation is interesting, both in terms of buying Andy Dalton in Superflex leagues, and you know, what would you sell Dak Prescott for? Well, you just you told me before the show that you actually just sold. Andy Dalton. So, what did you? I I bought. Oh, you Andy bought. Dalton. Sorry. What did you? So I, pick? I was a Dak owner. Me and my friend Ricky co-owned this team, and we have a really good team competing for this year. Lost Dak. It's a super flex league, and we traded Gabriel Davis in a fourth round pick for Andy Dalton. Um, and I was interested to hear a lot of the league kind of felt like that was really light, that, that Dalton should have been at least a second. And then I told you I kind of wanted to rant a little bit on super flex leagues where you start a lot of extra spots. So this is a league where – so FF, compared to FFPP, FFPC – oh, my God, I can't talk. FFPC setup is one quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, a tight end, a flex, and a super flex which I think is somewhat comparable to a lot of super flex leagues. Uh, there are a lot of people in dynasty leagues like to start more guys though. So we start two running backs, three receivers, and then three regular flexes. And I think people don't appreciate enough how those added regular flex spots change things. So three regular flex spots, that's three more running backs receivers than you're starting than in the FFPC version. You know, times 12 teams, that's 36 more players that are getting started. Uh, that's a huge drop off. And also when you start considering injuries and bye weeks and depth on your bench needed to replace those players, not just the guys you're starting, you know, I think that in a lot of ways combats the value of the quarterback in that super flex spot where you really do want to be deep with your skill position players. It's really important. And it reminds me somewhat of zero RB when people say, oh, your zero RB team, you know, it stinks because you're going to get killed in your RB2 spot, right? Or whatever. You do a modified zero RB team, you're going to get killed in your RB2 spot. And they don't realize, well, you know, well, let's just give you that point. Let's just say I'm not going to find a good RB2. I'm going to get killed there. I'm going to kill you in wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and flex. You know, you don't get extra points because your RBs are better than mine. And I feel similarly in super flex where people really see that super flex spot and they'll see you kind of, if you don't have a quarterback that obviously you want two quarterbacks, but you know, if you're getting beat in that super flex spot, I can make up for that by beating you with my seventh, eighth, ninth running back receiver starter versus your seventh, eighth, ninth, you know, and I think people kind of discount the edges on the tail end of the roster as if they don't count as much as the edges on the top end of the roster. Yeah. And, and I said before the show, I, I like the Gabriel Davis side of that trade. If I was in a different position, if you're, I think it's a fair trade and I would not be giving you crap for, you know, not having paid enough for Dalton. 
And if you're a competitive team and you need the quarterback, I think that's you definitely send that. But if you're in a position where you don't need Dalton right now, then I feel pretty good about getting Gabriel Davis in the fourth back. And I like to be the team that can just ship Dalton out for a little bit of profit. And if that's the best I can get for Dalton, that's fine because I don't need Dalton. Like I'm always in these super flex leagues. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm always a seller on the quarterback market, but not because I put a ton of my draft capital into the quarterback position. So if I get like, if I have a Kyler Murray in, uh, I did a startup this year where I did, where I did kind of pay up for a quarterback and I drafted Kyler Murray in the first, but my other quarterbacks are just like, uh, off the top of my head, it's guys like Rogers and Tannehill and Kirk cousins. And I target guys who I think are going to be starting quarterbacks the following season so that I can trade them. And so like, and, and I'm like, okay, if I look around and guys are just, they're paying up for like, they're drafting in this range, like Gardner Minshew, and, you know, Gardner Minshew looks good. Maybe he'll be the starting quarterback next year, but he might just get replaced by a rookie, you know, or you've got guys like Daniel Jones was going very high. And now it's like, it's like the bottom falls out on him. He's potentially, you know, at risk of getting replaced. Maybe not. He's not quite as risky as Minshew in that regard, but there are guys who are really one year's worth of uh, super flex production. And I'm always happy to avoid them. So that's why if I had Dalton and I wasn't like in need of a quarterback and competing, I would be happy. I would just be shopping him around and taking the best deal I could get because he's not going to give me anything next year. He's just another lottery ticket. So I'd like to kind of cash in for the profit. Yeah. So two, two questions I have for you on Dalton specifically. Do you think as I do agree with you that he's a pretty easy sell, you know, get what you can for him. But I wonder if you wait a week or two, because I think this Dallas offense is still going to throw a lot. They're still going to run a lot of plays. They've got a ton of talent around him where his value right now in people's heads might be old Andy Dalton. Whereas if you get a couple games, one or two games, even just one game, of what he could potentially do in Dallas, you might immediately get a lot more for him. Um, so I think there might be some reason to wait at least one week to see what this Dallas offense looks like with Dalton. Uh, and the second thing, do you think there's any long-term equity in terms of Dallas is just dumb as hell and you know Dalton plays well and they don't re-sign Dak? Um, on the first question, I, I would be more inclined to sell Dalton now, assuming that I could get something for him, like along the lines of what you got, because I think, or what you paid, because I think that I like, I'm nervous that Dalton will just look like the Dalton we've seen. I, mm-hmm. I actually think that his, I'm wondering if maybe people are just assuming that this is the Dallas offense and he'll kind of keep it going. I mean, in our FFPC league where we lost Dak, Dalton went for 128 fab. That's not like egregious, but quarterbacks in this league were typically going for like anywhere from like $13. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater had gone for like $33. 
Herbert off his breakout game was in like the twenties or something. So you don't have people spending up for quarterback all that much in these leagues. And then Dalton becomes available and he's getting, you know, bid up like he's a, a running back that became available or maybe like a high end kind of wide receiver pickup. Um, so I feel like the perception is kind of in Dalton's favor at the moment. Uh, it could, if you have a particularly skeptical league, then I wouldn't mind like waiting. I, I, I don't think you just have to absolutely sell him right now at all costs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could wait a couple of weeks, but I actually wonder if the perception is, is, is creating a sell window, not a hold window. Um, I guess that, yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, sometimes, uh, we, we do see situations where a guy's value can only go down. Uh, I might be overly optimistic that Dallas is just going to uh, not chug along because it's certainly a big, big downgrade, but still be pretty fantasy friendly. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think that's the general consensus. Gotcha. Like I, yeah. So, and you, it, Dalton kind of went for, for bids in this range. Um, we also lost him in our, in our other main event, um, we ended up getting Matt Stafford in that league, but uh, we tried to get both him and Dalton, and we're, we're unable to do so. So it can be, you know, he's going for more than t- than quarterbacks typically go for in these leagues. It was a particularly, you know, big week with the buys and stuff and Dak's injury to get quarterbacks. But, um, but yeah, I kind of get the feeling that Dalton has a little bit of hype to him. Um, more so than than oh god in the I just pulled up the main event he went for two thirty seven there yeah that's wild in a one quarterback league I mean yeah he's just not going to separate from other quarterbacks that much and uh, while we are talking about super well I guess let, let's talk well, about Dak a little bit well let me answer the question real quick on the uh, oh the yeah, next yeah. year and I want to I want to hear what you have to say on that um, the thing with Dalton is he's also a free agent after the end of the year so like. I guess Dalton could play awesome and Dallas could be total morons and re-sign Dalton instead of re-signing Dak. But I just feel like the road to that outcome is so narrow. And they could also re-sign or sign someone else. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to bring Dalton back in. Dalton basically has to play so well that they give him a new contract over Dak. And I it's not like they can just say, well, we already have this guy signed cheaply. They don't. So it's... Listen, Pat, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying this, but the, the league loves their white quarterbacks. Oh <laughs> There's other white quarterbacks, though. They can get we different saw, ones. Okay, well, we might have to just cut that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nick Foles signed for seventeen million, while you know Cam and Jameis had to sign well, for a million I, each. Trubisky's probably going to be available, so they can bring him in if they want. Yeah, no, um, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I know, but it's I don't I don't think Dalton really has any long term value, and that's you know that's how I think he's probably more. There's more downside to holding him than upside because um, you do you do need to sell him at some point this season in my mind. Uh, so, Hey, if people are kind of excited about him and bidding over $200 in the main event, uh, it seems like probably a good time to, to shop around. Yeah, that's, 
that's pretty wild. And I, I guess your window does close with each passing week, um, what you can get for him. Uh, okay, so as far as Dak's concerned, you know, I have Dak. I'm probably holding him in this league. I have him. You know, I can afford to hold him. But let's say, you know, I'm in a win now mode. I lose Dak. It's a super flex league. What are you trying to get for Dak? You know. Yeah. God. Because he's I what mean- top. In our traditional super flex league, I know I kind of ranted about the leagues with uh, playing a lot of running back wide receivers, but in traditional super flex league, he's a top 10 pick. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in these FFPC leagues, the the super flex that you outlined where it's the same structure, but one of the flexes, it's the same structure as a normal FFPC league, but one of the flexes becomes a super flex. Dak is even more valuable in that type of super flex league because the high end quarterback production is going to it's sort of it's like the opposite of what you were saying where like the way you beat people is by with limited amount of ro- uh, starting roster spots you need to be outscoring everyone at every single position and so in those type of settings i mean dak is dak has shown a ceiling at the position that's truly elite and i guess what it comes down to for me is I'm still not entirely clear on what his long-term prognosis is for this ankle injury because it sounds like it could be a long road to recovery with the like the the bone like came like through the skin is that right and it creates a potential some more risk in terms of the recovery risk of infection and it's like I'm just way out over my skis when I'm talking about this stuff but it's it's a scary injury, and I think it ultimately comes down to how well does he recover because if we can expect him to get back to what he was, then you would treat him similarly to how we're thinking about Saquon Barkley, but mm-hmm. with with more of a floor, whereas like Barkley is gonna he's just lost one of his most productive years of his entire career. Dalton could be back to being an MVP candidate you know, in 2022, probably, um, and then could have just an amazing finish to his career as long as this ankle injury isn't going to derail him. But I think it really does come down to the health. Yeah, and I haven't seen too much on the health. It's so early on in the process. You know, you have a tendency to roll to world players, and then you read these blurbs that you don't know how much time and effort went into them. You don't know if Denny's writing them, just kind of joking around or yeah, just kind of firing <laughs> it off, not caring. <laughs> and then you read, you know, you know, we assume his career isn't in jeopardy, but that's not totally out of the question. And you just don't know. Yeah. Is that, is that a thing or is that over exaggeration or is that, you know, shooting straight? So it is somewhat, well, I think, you know, whoever's writing it, they don't, we don't know. No one knows. It's impossible to know right now. Um, and it's not a common injury. It's not something like with an ACL, Achilles tear, like we have some idea of when these guys are going to be back to full health and, and what we can expect for them. With this, like, I don't know, like an ankle dislocation, like the the fracture, the whole thing is a little bit, uncertain 
So given that risk and that uncertainty, you know, what would you sell Dak for? You know, you've, you've got a you're competing team. You got to get something for Dak. You know, what type of player are you looking at? Yeah. So in the FFPC type setting, then I think you could be, I think in those settings, he's still more valuable because you still, because you, you have a guy who you think can ultimately get back to putting up a difference making score in your roster on your roster and uh, getting access to that ceiling is really critical. I think in the like the deeper leagues where you're really making you want to make sure that you're you have a lot of depth and you can fill out running back and wide receiver, um, then in those leagues maybe you take a bit more of a discount. So I'm pulling up a startup that I did with uh, Curtis Patrick that he that he runs and Dak. Uh, hang on, let me just see exactly where he went here. Dak went in the startup we did at the 111. Um, I feel like if you can, I think what I'd be trying to do is get like a piece that I'm really excited about and another quarterback back, like, and a pick. So if you can get mm-hmm. like, um, let me see. I'm, I'm, I mean, sometimes what's hard about these deals is, you know, Dak's got this big long-term value. So you're trying to, tra- you, you mentioned trying to get a piece that you're really excited about, but you know, usually that's a younger type player. Whereas the person that's would be buying Dak is generally not trying to trade those type of players. So it can get difficult. Um, you obviously need at least a quarterback to replace him plus something. Um, I doubt people are going to do one V one swaps like Dak versus Deshaun Watson, you know? No, you're not, you're not getting that. You're definitely not getting, I mean, Deshaun Watson went actually one pick behind him here. Um, No, I think you're better off going for like several tiers down at quarterback and trying to get like, um, you know, like a, like a golf or like, uh, like, a Tannehill, but then also on top of that, getting like Cortland Sutton mm-hmm. and trying to get, you know, because if you're getting, and maybe you can get like a, like a third or something, maybe, maybe a second, although maybe that gets rejected, but like getting a quarterback who's going to be a starter next season, plus a young player who you can take, you can take a guy who's, going to be hurt like Sutton because you're getting a quarterback back who's replacing your injured Dak. So I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, Maybe you could get like DJ Moore and like a kind of more bargain basement quarterback who at least has uh, a little bit of job security. Like, I don't know who would that even be? Maybe like a Nick Foles, DJ Moore and um, you know, something small on top. What yeah. do you think of those types of deals? Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's essentially, what you're saying is don't overpay to replace a quarterback spot. Um, and then as a result of not overpaying there, you can probably still salvage some exciting long-term 
value at a different position. So yes, so I'll, yeah, yeah. I would be trying to move the value of Dak into a different position. I like to generally try to go into the wide receiver position. Um, you know, that's in the so this league that I pulled up to help uh, act as a reference is exactly the type of league that you were talking about where it's deep. And in those types of leagues, I like to be deep at quarterback and have several options so that if I wanted to, I could even sell Dak for like, um, you know, a couple different skill players, a couple different wide receivers. But let's say, but I would typically, even in that situation, like to get um, at least some kind of quarterback back, like a Foles or something. Um, but you're, I do think that you do want to be really deep at wide receiver in these deeper leagues. And you're not, like you said, like you're not going to be able to get a Watson back. You're not going to be able to replace one for one, the ceiling that Dak was offering. You're not going to get Russell Wilson for Dak, you know, because Wilson's going to potentially win somebody the league. So you do, I think have to be strategic and try to buy low on a player at a different position. I think more is probably nice because there's a, there's a window on more. Even guys like us who really like Moore are now going, all right, Robbie Anderson's the wide receiver one here, but it's a very condensed offense. Moore is a very good player. He's still playing awesome. He's just not getting enough targets. So, um, and I think that that partly has to do with the role, his role in the offense and, you know, maybe the fit with Bridgewater skill set. So it's not ideal for Moore, but you could definitely see uh, things improving for him there and certainly a guy like long term. So he's someone that I just popped to mind. But, but yeah, if you can um, if you can move some of that value from Dak into a different position, that's going to be easier than trying to just get a, another quarterback that you feel like will fill right in for Dak. Yeah, I think you're probably in line for some frustrating trade talks if you're trying to 1v1 replace yeah. him. And then at that point, you might as well jump down several tiers, get your serviceable quarterback points, slot them in, and get your long-term value elsewhere. I think that strategy is a pretty sharp one. And I and I wouldn't be trying to go for like a guy that that I felt like would be like a short-term solution at quarterback who's then risky. Like Aaron Rodgers is kind of a scary type of buy if you're, you know, if you're thinking like I'm going to sell Dak, get Aaron Rodgers back. Aaron Rodgers is playing really well. Obviously you'd get something on top, but they did just draft Jordan Love in the first round. Jordan Love's looked really bad. Aaron Rodgers has been playing really well, but you could see, you know, things the bottom falling out on that. Or like a Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones could end up getting replaced. So I would, if I'm moving off Dak, in part to mitigate the risk of this ankle injury, don't take on a big risky player as part of that. It would be. Yeah, I like the golf Matt Ryan types where I feel like you're looking pretty safe at a couple like two to three years of decent quarterback production but because they haven't gone you know too crazy this year hopefully the the price is the price check is good you know i'd rather take those guys i'd rather pay for those guys than let's say big ben at a comparable cost i'd rather have yeah that's a ryan good one. and goff and i'd also rather have ryan and goff more than i'm trying to think of a quarterback that's like pricier, but like similar to them. Like I think they're in the sweet spot of relatively safe job security and okay production, but not overpriced right now in the market. And I think Stafford's probably in that range at the moment. Um, but yeah, Roethlisberger is a great example of like, he could, I mean, he 
he was just injured for all of last year. He's looking good, but he's old. You don't, I, I don't think you want to mess with that because otherwise, like, just keep Dak, you know? Yeah. So you're going to be able, I think, to get some kind of quarterback. Like, I, I would just, you either keep Dak and you pay for like a real cheap quarterback, like, you know, go get like Drew Locke, you know, or something just like where someone's ready to just kind of throw in the towel on a dude and you get a guy who's like startable, you know, for the rest of the season or whatever. But, and then, and then you're in your mind going and now have to draft a quarterback next year or whatever. Uh, if Dak's not healthy, but yeah, I wouldn't be, if you're moving off Dak, you're trying to mitigate that risk. So I'd be wanting to take a guy from the tier you're, you're talking about the Ryan tier. Yeah. And that's essentially uh, what we did in terms of we decided to keep Dak and then make the trade for Andy Dalton. Um, just slot him in, uh, give our, get us our replacement weeks for through the rest of the season and hope Dak's back to full health uh, start of next year. And while we're talking about super flex leagues, you know, I do think sometimes that super flex spot gets overrated the QBs in these leagues. Um, where you're starting extra regular running backs, receivers in the regular flex spots. But I was talking to Anthony Amico about it. In theory, that makes sense. But then when you, you end up not having a second one or a really bad second one in practice, sometimes it can be difficult. And because of the scarcity at quarterback, um, especially if you're playing best ball, there's a little bit more scarcity because people are going to be drafting three for sure. And then you, you run out of starting quarterbacks you're almost at the mercy of what the league does. So it's this weird mix of are you, you know, whether you're theoretically right or not, it almost doesn't matter if you're completely detached from where the market values guys. So I think that's an interesting point. I also think there's a cutoff now of guys that really can separate at the position. You know, we're starting, we've talked about this in DFS a lot, how we're having trouble with old DFS strategies because you used to be fading one or two guys that could go nuclear. And if you faded those one or two guys, you could pretty much play anybody at quarterback and stack them, you know, a cheap stack, get your two fifty and two to three touchdowns. You'd be totally fine. Now it's like you're fading Dak or you were fading Dak, Kyler, Lamar, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, that list of guys that can really separate at the positions getting a little bit deeper. And I don't really have a prescient point off of that, but I do think it's interesting to consider. Well, it's one reason to like, I typically just try to win at Superflex with, with volume, but it is a reason to try to do like, uh, like one elite quarterback types of strategies in these. In <laughs> modified these, zero quarterback. Modified zero quarterback. <laughs> Anchor quarterback <laughs> strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, go, get your anchor and then you'll bulk up on quantity. And like you said, if you, it is really valuable, I think, to use some bench spots. If you have a lot of bench spots on guys like Andy Dalton, you know, you just walk into guys that either you can use or you can trade for something. Absolutely. Jameis Winston, you know, these guys are probably going to land as a starter again somewhere. Marcus Mariota, maybe, although he sounds, he just completely bombed that audition uh, in training camp. But Ryan Tannehill was a guy last year I had stashed in a league. That's obviously paid off handsomely. Um, I think stashing guys like Jacob Eason, Jalen Hurts, I feel like everyone's going to be wise to that. That stash looks like it's about to 
potentially pay off very soon. Um, but, you know, Jordan Love, I think, is a good stash because he's going to get a chance to start in the NFL at some point. Um, so, yeah, I like I like stashing the guys who I just am just looking at, like, will this guy get a chance to start uh, at any point? Because if if a guy is starting, like we're seeing with Dalton, like there's a market for him before he even plays, before he even starts his first game. So you can – it's just sort of about – getting profit out of your bench spots and those backup quarterbacks or the stash like non-sexy rookie quarterbacks um are i think a pretty easy way to do that i don't love to hold a guy like forever and ever that's like a deeper guy like it's like i was just about to ask you about uh these josh rosen shares that i have yeah is it is it time? It's time. I mean, no one because no league. <laughs> what you need is a franchise to be like, we're gonna commit to this guy. And so, like, like Eason, right? Rivers is a free agent again after the year. They they just drafted Eason. The path is that Rivers continues to kind of suck, which he's already doing a good job of. And then they give Eason a shot at the end of the year, and then you can sell him then. You don't even have to wait till the end of the year, but then your big upside plays, they somehow commit to him, which they probably won't. But you get a sell window on him. With a guy like Rosen or one of these guys has already kind of fallen on his face a couple times, the path is so narrow, I think. Is anyone able to suck as much as Phillip Rivers and still have good surface number, 71% completion percentage and eight yards per attempt? Yeah. And his coach hates his guts. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No. Uh, he mastered this with the Chargers too. Uh, be, and it messes with my projections a little bit because you're like, oh, Philip Rivers sucks. And then you look and you see him 7.8 yards per attempt, 8.5 yards per attempt, 7.9 yards per attempt. And it's, oh, that's well above the league average. How is this happening? Yeah. Well, let me ask you on Dak. Um, did you guys consider, because I feel like the real balls to the wall move would be trading away Dak to get something plus Justin Herbert. The guy who, yeah, that's interesting. I think the guy who has Herbert's got, I know this is like overly specific, but he's got three young quarterbacks that he's kind of just riding with. Um, but that, yeah, that that is a pretty interesting move because we we do need a running back and we're like a running back away from just an absolutely dominant team so also kind of considered there's a Kamara team that's kind of selling off and just seeing if we could get go Dak for Kamara in some fashion you know plus minus some pieces and maybe just figure quarterback out long term later yeah that's interesting yeah that's definitely tempting because Kamara looks like a potential league winner. It's regardless hard of though to sell Dak in a league where I feel like the league is overvaluing the quarterbacks though. Cause the figure out quarterback later piece becomes a lot more difficult when you almost know you're going to have to overpay to get, you know, to figure out the quarterback position later. Yeah. And that's why I do really look at the contracts at the quarterbacks. And I look at like, where this team's likely to be drafting the following year, because if I'm paying cheap for guys, like I'd rather pay for like Kirk cousins is a great guy to have in Superflex Cause who cares if he sucks, 
he's going to put up a few less points a week. But I still don't. The thing at Superflex I don't want is for me to be dropping down by like six, seven points because I'm I'm slotting in a wide receiver who's like my seventh best starting wide receiver. Yeah. Instead of a quarterback. So that's the hit that I'm trying to avoid. I don't I don't want to pay. I don't want to the difference in quarterback scoring differential you end up paying a, a lot for. Um and that's okay if you're getting you're accessing you're getting the guys who can access an elite ceiling like you know Mahomes, Murray, Jackson, etc. But it is not worth it when you're paying the difference of a guy who like people think is going to score like you know 23 points a game instead of 19 or or 20 points a game. So right. I'd rather I, get the security. Yeah, it's a situation where and again, you know, the anchor quarterback strategy, grab your elite guy who can separate, but then, you know, looking at dynasty league football, ADP, I think their most recent super flex had uh Kirk cousins. Oh, let me look, let me look at their super flex ADP real quick. Um, from September cousins was going QB. Actually he, he was valued, you know, kind of high. I did trade away <laughs> Kirk cousins. We, we traded away uh Kona league. Uh, team with my brother and we got uh i think i can't remember the plus minus of it all but we ended up basically doing like cousins for debo preseason mm-hmm. so i think there was a pick involved but but yeah i mean cousins is still still valued fairly high but um but yeah there's a certain point after which like the quarterback market completely dries up but i try to usually get in to that range and get like yeah. two or three guys and if I can get two or three of those guys plus a guy that's really good, um, the other thing to do is to is to take the really gross. This is something I mentioned last week, but I'll repeat it again. Take the take the quarterback that everyone thinks sucks in the rookie class: Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Not a bad hit rate on that on that uh, archetype. So, at the very least, there's going to be a, a nice resell. I mean, all three of those guys have had really nice resale markets, even if Daniel Jones ultimately ends up being uh, a bust and, and Herbert could as well. So that's the other thing I just say, like quarterback evaluations are very difficult. Um, don't be like, just try to be, just try to admit that we probably don't know how good these guys are and take the discount uh, in those rookie drafts on, on the guys like Herbert. So yeah, that's, that's the last thing I'll say on it. Let's, uh, Let's move to tight ends. Let's talk a little bit about these charts we got here and just kind of the target per route run stat in general. We've obviously touched a ton on this. If you listen to the podcast before, you're pretty familiar with what we're talking about here. But uh, I I did some articles and and Mike's helped me out with running some numbers on this targets per route run stat being pretty interesting, especially at the tight end position. And generally, we want guys who – if they're not already running a lot of routes and getting targeted at a really high rate, like those players are going to be generally scoring a lot of points because targets are, you know, how they, how those points get scored. Um, we want guys who are already getting targeted and then have the potential to run more routes as opposed to trying to target guys who are just out there all the time, but don't really tend to get targeted. And I think that's especially true at tight end where, you actually do have like a little bit of a differentiation in the class of players. You got guys who are really more blocking types. Then you get some guys like George Kittle, who are basically, you know, one of the best receiving weapons in the entire NFL 
playing the tight end position. So there's a huge difference in the skill sets that you can see at this position in a way that even at wide receiver, you don't necessarily see because everyone who plays wide receiver is there to catch the ball. So want to check in uh, and see where we are, we're at, where we're at with some of these tight ends. The guys who are popping are guys who are predictable. Um, some of the guys are, are very predictable. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews. I mean, these are guys that were getting drafted very high that had really good seasons last year. But there's some interesting guys here, kind of the next group here on this chart, uh, of uh, in the part of the chart that we really want. Mike Isicki, Austin Hooper, Noah Fant, um, and, and Robert Tanyan. I think those guys are all really interesting to talk about. And Austin Hooper is someone... You know, admittedly, we railed on a little bit when we're looking at this stuff beginning of the year. His targets per out run with Atlanta wasn't that good. Out of the gate with Cleveland, it was really bad. And when you see that with two straight teams, you start to worry a little bit. Since we've last talked about this, I don't know if it was just getting accustomed to a new team, role change, or what, but his targets per out run, as you mentioned, he's now in this cluster that looks pretty appealing as a buy. And what I've noticed doing the projections for DFS is Cleveland's running two tight ends a ton. You know, Harrison Bryant's out there a lot. Njoku's out there a lot now that he's returned from IR. And it seems like they're committing, you know, to Hooper as a pass catcher uh, in these two tight end sets a little bit more than they were before. And it is interesting. We also see with the Colts, they're also another team that's running a lot of two tight end sets. And you've got someone like Jack Doyle, who's in the spot, on the chart that we don't want, which is he's running routes, but he's target per routes run is really low. And even his routes are starting to come down a little bit. Uh, whereas Trey Burden, his two games back, his targets per route run have been phenomenal. You know, his routes per team drop back still has some room to grow because like Cleveland, they're playing three tight ends and they're two tight end sets. You know, they're rotating through three different guys and Mo Ali Cox being the other guy, someone that, you know, we like for upside and it does seem if burden or Mo alley, if either one of those guys can kind of get a stranglehold on this receiving T two role for the Colts, it's going to be pretty valuable. Yeah. Well, I think burden is their starting tight end. I mean, he's running more routes than Doyle and he's getting targeted at a high rate. So yeah, burden is the guy. We can kind of jump to, to him real quick because if you look, if you're looking at the chart here, but even if you're not, um, Trey Burton is running, on the season, less than half of the routes, but he's also uh, over the course of the last couple games, he is running um, more than more routes than Jack Doyle. So he does seem to be the starting tight end for the Colts right now. Um, and he is getting targeted on that really high rate, as you mentioned, almost up at 30%. So, which is, which is very high, small sample, but, this is exactly the type of player that I think we had talked about the season before trying to identify. And uh, I want to be kind of early to the party on Trey Burton. We picked him up actually before this week. We picked him up last week um, in both main event teams, uh, tried to get him on some football guys teams, uh, and he ended up being too expensive. So we we got him luckily on the main event teams, didn't get him on on every team where we had tougher drops last week. But yeah, I think Trey Burton is really exciting um, and still very, very cheap 
outside of tight end premium leagues, you know, the, there hasn't been too much buzz on him. And uh, he's a guy like Philip Rivers has shown an inclination to target the tight end, but that was not helping out Jack Doyle, who I think may just be done. So you get actually was underselling Burton a little bit. He had a 33% target per route run last week, up above 50% of the routes. Um, and Jack Doyle was down at 47% of the routes. So, and, and only targeted on 13% of his targets. And then the week before, Jack Doyle was targeted on 8% of his targets while out there on 43% of dropbacks. And Trey Burton was targeted on 29% of his target, of his routes, excuse me, while out there on 57% of dropbacks. So, this is two straight weeks now that we've seen this exact same dynamic where Burton's actually out there more than Doyle and the target differential is gigantic. So definitely really excited about Burton. Yeah. And John Smith is someone we had pointed out early in the season. He keeps crushing it. He's been really efficient, very high TD rate, uh, strong targets per route run. Uh, yeah. Still not running as many routes per team drop back as we'd like to see, but it's the type of guy where he, he's got sort of nowhere to go, but I don't want to say nowhere to go, but up because he's been running really hot in efficiency and we wouldn't expect that to continue. But in terms of his raw targets, he kind of has nowhere to go, but up because he's not going to run less routes than he's running right now. Um, and if we believe targets per out run is somewhat skill-based, you know, he's somewhat locked into the, to the targets he's getting now but then he has the room to see those targets grow. If they do uh, increase that, I I'm a little skeptical if they're going to, this is just kind of the role they have slotted out for him, but um, that that's someone else to keep your eye on. Yeah. I think in some ways in, you know, kind of a counterintuitive way, his most recent game was a little bit bearish because he did only run a route on 58% of dropbacks in a game, you know, where they were rolling out this uh, Nick Westerbrook, uh, I forget his. I just have him as Nick Westbrook in this spreadsheet, so I don't, I don't even know the decline e or I don't know. Yeah, oh. um, and Khalif Raymond, you know these. It was real. I mean, they they did not have any real receiving weapons outside of AJ Brown and Johnny Smith. Anthony Ferkser was out there on forty five percent of dropbacks, but they only had Johnny out there on fifty eight, and so I, I do think that's a bit of a concern in terms of how much they're going to let him be out there running routes. Um, mm -hmm. So I think John, John looks like a hit and someone that you're excited uh, to have. And it really is, I think going to easily pay off his ADP, but I'm, a, I'm definitely a little bit um, skeptical that he sees a huge uptick in routes. Um, like the route run, like the kind of the average tight end one I was looking at today is running a route on 69% of dropbacks and John is at 61%. So what he's doing isn't actually even that far below the league average for the tight end one. Um, so I, I do think that we should probably expect this roughly this amount of opportunity in terms of the routes, but, um, but yeah, he should continue to get targeted at a high rate. That's the thing that we think is going to be sticky and he's a good player. He's got an 8.5 yards per target, which is good, but not so crazy good that, you know, he's going to like he could finish the season pretty easily in that range as well. So the touchdowns are the part that he's running really hot on. But I think otherwise, he's looking like a pretty stable player to me in terms of the role and the targets. 
There's a cluster of tight ends that I want to ask you about guys that have really disappointed their targets per out run aren't that great, but they're running just a ton of routes per team drop back. And it's funny if you look at this chart that we'll post in the show notes, it's Evan Ingram, Logan Thomas, and Zach Ertz in this really big cluster. And Logan Thomas to start the year, his targets per out run was pretty good. We were pretty excited about him. Yeah, you know, it's good that he's still out there. He's still running a lot of routes. Um, they just came off a really difficult matchup where they were checking down a lot. Uh, when they just absolutely got smoked by the Rams. Uh, but, it, you know, it just seems with the quarterback play there, it's not happening for Logan Thomas. But I do, I don't know, I'm kind of a, for all three of these guys, there's part of me that's just like, uh, just holding out a little bit of hope. So uh, Evan Ingram, we talked about a little bit before the show, wanting to get, you know, your opinions on this egregious average depth of target for Evan Ingram. His ADOT's 4.9. I saw someone tweet guys like Jason Witten have a higher ADOT than Evan Ingram. He's mentioned, you know, being asked to run a lot more curl routes than he has in the past. For a tight end that can play in the slot, you know, be split out wide, that's pretty disappointing to see that they're using him this way. It's interesting you mentioned these guys because they're all kind of they're very similar. <laughs> they all have 19% target shares right now, but um, they're all being used somewhat shallow. Those you mentioned, Evan Ingram being used extremely shallow, below five in his A dot is is shallow even for a tight end. You know who are typically tight ends don't have A dots above ten, um, but that's really shallow. But the other thing that's similar about these guys is that they all run a lot more routes than your typical tight end. Uh, Ingram's been out there on 90% of dropbacks. Thomas has been out there on 89% of dropbacks, as has Ertz. So that's good. We obviously want our guy, you know, our tight ends, the more they're out there, the better. But when you're looking at this class of, of struggling tight ends, and they're really like capped, I think, in terms of how many routes they can run. Like, this is it. This is as much route opportunity as they're going to get. I just said, like, the average tight end is only out there on 68% of dropbacks. These guys are at 90. So they're operating as, like, as wide receivers, basically, in terms of the amount of routes that they're running. And so what we're seeing is just the inability to draw targets. And that is very concerning. Um, I think it's concerning for, like, legitimate reasons as well. Like, Ertz is not passing the eye test right now. He's got a 4.4 yards per target. Yeah, that'll that'll come up some. He's not going to finish the the year <laughs> well you would think with that bad of a yards per target, but so there's some regression, but it's also like the, Dallas Goddard's coming back and was thoroughly outplaying Zach Ertz. And so you're worried about his long-term role. Is he going to end up seeing his routes decline? There's a lot of downside here if if uh they decide not to run as many two tight two tight end sets when Goddard gets back, and then Logan Thomas. You mentioned the quarterback play, and he's not never a tight end that's really performed all that well previously, and he's got a three point seven yards per target, and also now not drawing uh, targets at a high rate over the course of the season after several weeks of really really bad uh, targets per route run after starting the season pretty strong there. So I'm pretty concerned with all of these guys. Yeah, Ertz is definitely concerning that the targets per out run isn't better considering 
the injuries to the skill player position. You know, Rager yeah. hurt, Deshaun Jackson hurt, Alshon Jeffrey not back yet, Dallas Goddard hurt. I really thought we were going to see some old school Ertz games when Goddard went out solely off being targeted heavily, even if that efficiency wasn't that great. You know, I thought we'd see some 10 to 15 target games, you know, some just monster target games. That's games that he's had in the past where he's put up so many PPR points, tight end premium points. And, you know, it's just been really disappointing. Um, Sort of his last chance. I don't want to say his last chance, but uh, the window for him to make a splash is closing, you know, with the return table, you know, for these guys on the horizon. Yeah. He hasn't been targeted on more than 20% of his routes in any game this year, uh, which is very strange given the amount of injuries they've had. And yeah, so the context around these guys makes it hard to be like the context around it makes you even more bearish. I think, I guess the one thing would be they all have really bad yards per target and you would expect some regression on that. It's not a sticky stat. And so you could get a little bit of a bounce back, but to me, it's like that bounce back creates a sell window and it'd not be something that would ultimately ultimately make me feel like great about these guys. Yeah. Ingram's the one guy that I feel a little more optimistic about just because he's, you know, still young and very athletic and, you know, proven that he's been a good tight end before. So I'm a little more optimistic on him than the rest of the group. I am too. And, and I was actually looking at Ingram heading into Dallas as potentially a get right spot for him. That didn't happen, but it could happen this week against Washington. <laughs> he almost Ingram almost had a two touchdown game off a carry at the goal line and a fake field goal. Yeah, <laughs> pass attempt. <laughs> right, that fake field goal. That talk about back. cell windows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah, that's true. All right, so you know maybe we could fluke into a couple touchdowns and get off Ingram that way. <laughs> but uh, but Ingram was actually a guy. It's funny when I looked ahead when when I did the articles looking at these stats before the season, all three of these guys were actually fades by by the preseason numbers. Ertz was one of these elite tight ends. These elite tight ends tend to repeat, but he had been below the threshold for the efficiency, the yards per target, which is potentially a sign that maybe the guy ends up seeing that like his role falls off. And certainly his role has fallen off, although it hasn't been that they've not been putting him out there. It's that he's just not been able to earn targets at the same rate. But, you know, uh, he's Levitan calls him a catch and fall down guy, right? So that's kind of where he's at at this point. And, um, that's yeah, the nice I, version. that's the nice version. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Evan Ingram was not getting targeted at a high rate last year um, either. And so, I, I do I do hold the most hope out for him though because of the athleticism and at times he's been in mean, his rookie year he looked awesome but this offense concerns me and I think Slayton is really uh, like a I think he's a true wide receiver one I'm I I'm a believer in Slayton so um, and you got Shepard coming back there so all three of these guys look like pretty big disappointments I actually want to circle back a little bit to Austin Hooper because I I think we owe him maybe a little bit more of an apology because he looks yeah. great. He looks great in terms of these numbers. Like um, he, he didn't, he started the season slow. He was another guy that was like a big fade in the numbers for me entering the season, but he's now coming off uh, several strong games 
and he's up a 22% targets per outrun on the season. And he's out there on 72% of dropbacks. So as you mentioned that they are using Harrison Bryant and Njoku, but uh, and Njoku's missed some games, but they run a lot of two tight end sets. So even when these guys are on the field, Hooper is often as well. And he's above the league average for routes run per drop per, per drop back. Um, and I think with him, you're seeing a yards per target that's also low at 5.9. And this is a spot where it looks like regression to me. Like if I basically people aren't that excited about Hooper overall, I mean, certainly priced really low in DFS. And so if you can get him right now, I think he's a good target because the underlying stats are looking actually really good for him. And I really do think that targets per route run, getting those targets does to some degree reflect the skill player or the skill of the player. But I think it also sometimes reflects the offense and certain tight ends, certain offenses feature the tight ends more than others. And he moved to an offense that is now running a lot of two tight end sets. And, you know, last year there wasn't, this offense wasn't producing a lot for like Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, but they're not producing a lot this year either. So that might be a Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith problem. Uh, This offense like typically does, I mean, it's kind of the Shanahan style offense. We're seeing Kittle smash in it. We're seeing this is a, you know, the Owen Daniels types did well in this offense and under Kubiak and stuff. So you're, I think in a better offensive environment, maybe for Hooper than he was in Atlanta, not in terms of overall passing volume, but in terms of involving the tight end. So something to think about is to maybe why we're seeing a higher targets per route run here for Hooper. But with this much of a sample, we've seen 119 routes from Hooper. I'm starting to buy into this. And because he hasn't been efficient on those targets, I think there's still a bit of a buy window for Hooper. Yeah, his targets have gone from two to four, four, then seven and 10 the last two weeks, but really doesn't have a huge game. He's got five catches each of the last two weeks. The one he caught a touchdown, but his yardage was pretty low. And then last week he was only five for 57 off the 10 targets. So you'd certainly expect both the catch rate um, and along with that, the yards per target. Uh, to to rise for him and also you think you got to think cleveland's more likely to throw more frequently than they have thus far uh just because some of the game scores and situations they've gotten themselves into where they were able to run a lot against cincy and washington even against dallas as crazy as that game got you know cleveland was on the plus side of that game for a really long time in the second half so they were running a 10 and then you kind of had a slog game against the Colts, but that game was a little bit closer and they did end up, you know, Mayfield had a season high with 37 pass attempts or I'm sorry, he had 39 in the opener. So it was his second most. Um, so this week against Pittsburgh right away, tough run defense, a game that's going to be more competitive. You could see the targets uh, rise for Hooper in terms of raw total, just because uh, Mayfield is probably going to have to drop back to pass more often than he has on average through the first five games. Yep. Which means more routes, for uh for Hooper and if he's getting targeted at a at a good rate like he has been that could be awesome for him so agreed I I think we can close out with one more guy here um another kind of mea culpa from me on Mike Gusecki and although kind of a partial mea culpa I guess because he's still not quite there but I think the thing with Gusecki that jumps out to me 
is it sees the inverse of Evan Ingram, where Evan Ingram's getting targeted really shallow, and he's getting targeted at a very low rate. Mike Kosicki's getting targeted at below the rate we'd like to see. He's still at 19% on the season. He was down at 15% last season, which is why I was very bearish on him entering the year. He's now up at 19, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. But his ADOT is at is above 11. And so he's one of the few tight ends that is actually getting targeted a bit deeper downfield. And I think that creates some spiked week potential for Gasicki in a way that I wasn't really giving him credit for before the season. So he is, he's been efficient in a way that I think probably doesn't last because he's never really been that efficient of a player, but you know, that's the type of thing where you, when you are running deeper downfield, you have the potential to put up some spiked efficiency on a weekly basis. And he's basically, you know, this has been something everyone agreed on before the season. He's a slot wide receiver. He's not even really a tight end. And, you know, he's out there a lot. He's getting targeted deeper than you typically see from this position. So he's someone that um, I want to revise my opinion officially on a little bit. Yeah. And I think if you are playing hindsight 2020 there, you know, the ADOT was really high last year. The yards per target is correlated a decent bit with ADOT and, you could have made the case that that was going to come up even if the you yeah. know, targets per route run wasn't great. And we know he's just running a ton of routes. His game log is kind of weird though. You know, he had the monster game versus the bills. Then he had back to back three target one catch games. And then he has a, you know, a really good game against San Francisco. So just a lot of volatility there for uh Jusicki, great best ball player this year. Great. Better in best ball, better in best ball. The old, <laughs> The old better in best ball. We'll have to do yeah. a podcast on that notion sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be before we go, let's let's actually close out on on a po- more positive note. A guy we were both excited about before the year, Mark Andrews, who we were the thesis on Mark Andrews was his targets per route run shrinks from the absurd 30 plus percent it was at last year because that was unsustainable. Uh that's just an outlier for this particular stat but it stays high and he runs a bunch more routes. He's at a targets per route run now of 23%. Well, well below last year, but still a very good mark. And he's now running a route on the season on 79% of dropbacks. So we're feeling pretty good about Mark Andrews right now. Yeah, absolutely. If, well, you said you want to go on a positive note, but I was going to say, the, what are you going to say? <laughs> my only slight concern with, I, I think we now the thesis to play exactly my only, I'm just pissed off at this Baltimore offense for running. So at such a slow pace yeah. that they have, which just reduces team tar, you know, team available targets um, in terms of target share and route share. Andrew's exactly where we want to see him hyper efficient, just like he was last year in terms of the TD rate uh, even could be doing much better. You know, we had that one uh, egregious game against Kansas city where we dropped that touchdown. He dropped the touchdown. Yeah, you're trying Lamar to save it, up. but now, now you're bringing up dropping touchdowns. You're, you're killing me. Let's talk about his ADOT. It's 12.3. He, he's, he's getting targeted deep downfield. It's awesome. He's still getting targeted at 23%. I just apologize for Gasicki because his ADOT was 11 and he's getting targeted at 19% of his routes. Mike, Mark Andrews is crushing Gasicki at 23% and a 12.3 ADOT. He's doing great, Mike. He's doing great. Let's go. Let's go, Mark. <laughs> All right. We'll close it there. 
thanks for thanks for listening everybody and make sure to rate and review the podcast uh check out all of our stuff at establishyourrun.com and uh we'll see you next week <laughs>